0: Hello and welcome to part three of the GFT AI podcast. My name is Simon Thompson and I run the AI centre of excellence that GFT has established in the UK. In this week's podcast, we want to talk about using modern natural language processing technology, we call it NLP, to solve business problems and the challenges that have emerged when the GFT team have tried to do that. Aaron Zhao and Lou Mao have been working on using this new technology in projects for GFT customers, so I'd like to welcome to the podcast.
1: Lou. can you introduce yourself to the audience? Hello, my name is Lou Mao. I'm working for GFT and I'm a senior machine learning developer. Yeah.
0: Aaron, your turn now. Let everyone know who you are. Hello,
2: Simon. Uh, glad to be here. My name is Aaron Zhao. I joined GFT two years ago and uh, I'm a that engineer at the Cambridge Lab. So before joining
0: GFT, I did my PhD in uh, engineering at the University of Cambridge. And Lou, you're a Manchester uh, graduate, aren't you? Doctorate in uh, database technology. Is that yeah, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, So I, I did a PhD in Manchester, and I be up after a PhD, I joined IBM, and then worked for Experian, and then landed at GFT two one and a half years ago. Yeah, thank you. Fantastic.
0: So for for years, I I worked using older NLP tech, uh, things like word spotting and ontology matching, and using small neural networks, old fashioned neural networks for text classification. Uh, even using things like singular value decomposition to handle sparse data problems uh, in in natural language processing, and it was always a bit hit and miss, uh, especially when we attempted, or I attempted to apply it to real world problems. Um, But now we have a bunch of new technology, including something that's really excited everyone in the last few years. Uh, And the community calls that uh, generic type of technology, uh, or at least I think the community calls it language models. Um, So I know this is what you've been working with recently, Lou. So can you tell us all what what a language model really is?
1: yeah sure uh, so language model is really a machine learning model developed trained and tested for understanding and interpreting uh, human languages uh, since the creation of uh, computation, computational automation computer scientists has developed various mechanisms for computers to interact with humans using human's own languages as for simple example if i type uh, hello to the model, I expect it to reply me hello. And if I type the question, uh, what is the weather like today? To the, mo- to the same model, I expect it to re- reply me today is sunny. Well, I expect him uh, understand what I asked and search the result for, for me from, for example, BBC. Or a more smarter model would ask back, which location are you asking about? Because the model did not understand my question and they want to clarify.
0: So that's a very fundamental view of, of what a language model might be. Uh, probably we would understand better if you could give us some history about what, what the journey towards getting that kind of capability or an approximation of that capability has been. Could you could you give us a bit of background and history about it, Lou?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So at the very beginning, look at uh, history of uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, I think AI scientists uh, developed Fact and rule-based automated reasoning system, which what I learned in at Edinburgh, an undergraduate using language like uh, C or even Prolog. So in Prolog, you need to tell the computer facts. In this case, facts will be words in dictionary, and you need to provide him rules. Uh, Rules are how the computer can reason about fact. For example, if you encounter the word hello, this implies you reply the word hello back. Well, imagine how many types of combination of questions to answers, pairs in human language we need to code into prologue in this kind of rule-based system. Uh, Since adoption of using neural network in machine learning, scientists have found another way of representing word and text which is a vector. The so machine learning word is called embeddings. The reasoning part is done through linear algebraic manipulation of vectors and matrix. Okay, that's cool. But then the next question is, uh, what kind of vectors or embeddings? Uh, or how do we represent the word or vectors or text in a vector? Well, the simplest way is to represent the word is using one hot sparse vectors where the size of the vector is the number of words in a dictionary, maybe 200,000 for English. Only one position in that vector is one, which denote the position of the word in the dictionary. The rest position of the vector are zeros. The problem with this representation is that we cannot use it reason among words. So in 2013, researcher uh, Thomas Mikolov at Google developed a mechanism to learn to generate semantic word embeddings so that with, with that kind of representation, if you give me embeddings for the word king, queen and man, I can tell you the vector uh, very closely match the vector for the word woman. We also see representation of text documenting the, for text documentation in statistical way, like TFIDF, or counting out the frequency each word appears in a document. That's how it works. But the most phenomenal invitation for machine learning, I think, is transformers model. With transformer, it can generate embedding based on the surrounding context the word is in. For example, the embedding for the same word "bank" b a n k is different. Depends on if it's used in the word in the phrase "river bank" or if being used in "blah bank" or "financial bank." Three different kind of contexts. Defining embedding for word really need to consider the word surrounding it.
0: So, so we're able to represent these words uh, as rel- as as relative to other places in the space of words, rather than explicitly positioned in, in a space. Yes. Uh, so it's a relative representation. And that, that's really helped us deal with this sparsity and this diversity of, of, of use of words in language. Uh, so it's a big step forward. but but how do we how do we use this when we've got this language model and we can generate embeddings for words or for for sentences even or or
1: phrases? how How do we use these these embeddings? Well, well, in many kind of application, we need to understand and interpret what a human says, a write or what he typed into using keyboard. Uh, areas where it touches uh, general consumer could be uh, make people feel and experience it's, it's a chatbot uh, embedding any home system, uh, system such as uh, Amazon's Alexa, a home assistant from Google provided from Google or even car assistant system in a Tesla car. So embedding is really the key uh, technology drive all these complex uh, systems to work. It has also been used for doing language translation. So Google translates the transformer like model like called BERT in 104 languages. So if you take the model and fine-tune it with domain-specific text, such as understanding financial documents in French, then you don't have to uh, trans- uh, you don't have to train it again to understand the same kind of text in Chinese or the other 103 languages. The other interesting application area is to use language model, such as general embeddings to automatically write news contents by just tell the model, what topics you want to write, it will automatically complete the right part of the document, so it's content. In the financial domain, ML engineers has developed model for understanding uh, sentiments in news document in order to predict market movements. In other areas, such as text summarization, document classification, customer review analysis, or review to recommendation generations. In the most recent development, we have seen models that understand what is said in a piece of text, and based on its meaning, it can find related pictures describe similar content, so a text to image search application. Yes.
0: Okay. Um, so that's a great overview of the map of, of areas that we, we we can apply this technology to. Uh, but what what has been the the, the the specific technical developments in language models that have moved them from being academic um, objects of curiosity uh, to really genuinely useful
1: tools for these tasks. Okay, so I, I would say four aspects, quantile. Firstly, uh, the model aspect. So a lot of advanced or smart language model are pre-trained by given by universities or big tech uh, technology vendors like Google, Microsoft, Facebook, or IBM. For example, Google trained, as I mentioned before, the BERT model, a large size text corpus, book corpus, Wikipedia text. Uh, later in Facebook, it trained the Roberta model, which is another uh, sister model of BERT, or even larger text corpus. Credit to all the vendors who later share these trained models to ML practitioners from loading the model to actually apply the model may just need to write a few lines of Python code. So these models can then either t- be tested in specific application domain like finance or insurance. Likewise, uh, ML pratish- practitioner like myself and Aaron, we can fine-tune the model using some extra training examples. We may later rally the society by reshare. Our pre-trained model to be further tested and fine-tuned by other practitioners of ML. Secondly, another aspect will be the training or test or data aspect. So there are many kind of publicly shared data sets to be acquired by ML uh, practitioners to fine-tune or pre-train a language model. Data sets such as travelers' reviews from uh, Trip Advisor question and answer on product marketed on Amazon, and even complaint provided by consumer or financial institution. These are all being shared publicly, to allow a practitioner to train a fine tune or pre-trained machine learning models. Certainly, the Cloud environment such as GCP, on Google's Cloud, you can very easily spin off GPU or TPU, TensorFlow uh, processing unit, powered by a VM to run your Jupyter Notebook, to do machine learning training, and there are many serverless on-demand components you can then rent or train to, to house your ML models. Lastly, a problem, application, or business case. Okay, As mentioned in the previous question, there are many areas where Language model can be developed to solve such as text uh, summarization, a chat box, and so on. That's it. So four aspects, model training, cloud, and problem.
0: Yeah. And so we've we've got all four ingredients now. We can we can pick up these models for free, or and we can uh, fine tune them. There's training uh, data that's out there to enable us to fine tune for many domains. Uh, we've got cloud resources that are perfectly powerful enough to handle these things, which we didn't have uh, five years ago, really. And uh, my goodness, there are lots of business problems that we can apply them to. Uh, so, so just recently, what what have been the most exciting developments in in the world of
1: language models? Okay, so in my opinion, uh, the most exciting breakthroughs in the field of language model is transformers, proposed by Google. Based on transformers, a lot of intelligent language models are developed such as BERT, GPT, T5. Quite often, these language model could make uh, headlines when they come out, not only in NLP or AI community, but the whole society. As mentioned previously, we have experienced use embedding generated from piece of text to search for embedding of image that describes semantically similar entity and the context. A representative example of this is a clip model de- developed by OpenAI, which owned by Elon Musk of Tesla.
0: Yes. So we can use that to link uh, a piece of text to images in and, and to to even generate images from text I've seen. Yeah, or use embeddings and language yeah. models. Okay. So we have these tools, um, but it seems to me that all our problems are not yet solved because I have not seen the next generation of uh, fluidly interacting working chatbots. And I play a lot of video games and the video game characters are all still uh, using pretty dumb scripts. They're not expert conversationalists. And I kind of wonder, well, I don't. I don't personally wonder, I'm uh, setting this up as a as a, a question, obviously, I I think I know why they don't use these technologies, uh, but perhaps Aaron, can you can you give us some color on that? What what are the major obstacles to using language models effectively?
2: Uh, yeah, sure. So uh, we know language modeling are quite complicated tasks. Natural languages uh, has no predefined rules as programming languages, and they are fast evolving as the language models are getting smarter and smarter, more and more capable, and they are inevitably getting bigger and bigger as well. For example, the BERT model has 340 million parameters, the largest T5 model gets 11 billion parameters, and the GPD3 model has 175
0: billion parameters. So can you, can you just give us a bit of information? When you say parameter, um, You know, what does that mean? What do you have to do if you've got... Say ten parameters or a thousand parameters or a million parameters what what does that actually mean?
2: So the parameters are the uh, are the values you need to train the model and to find the optimal uh, values uh, so that it can give you the uh, the correct prediction based
0: on uh, example, the model C. So they're the settings that make up the model, and they're they're typically floating point numbers. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. So, GPT-3 model is made of 175 billion floating point numbers.
2: Yeah, that's correct. So, this is quite big uh, uh, language model. So, even though there are efforts to reduce the model size without lo- losing much accuracy, such as using uh, knowledge distillation, uh, that do not change the direction fundamentally, as the complicated nature of language modeling requires complicated models. So. The main obstacles, in my opinion, for applying language models effectively are mainly to do with the sheer size of the models. And you can imagine the enormous number of resources it requires to serve models of such sizes. And in addition, uh, another challenge arises from the storage for large volumes of embeddings generated from the language models and the lookups. So
0: how do we get over this?
2: So as serving the language models requires a huge number of resources, the cloud uh, technology provides the highly scalable, secure infrastructures as required. And therefore, in a blog post we recently published on a medium uh, called Everything You Wanted to Know About Serving Language Models on GCP But Were Afraid to Ask, we examine se- uh, several fully managed options provided by GCP And this uh, Development-as-Service offers provided by Google allow a machine learning practitioner to easily configure, deploy, and monitor their models through the console or Python codes. So in a blog post, we provided simple deployment configuration files, Docker files, and the sample zero-shot learning code examples to illustrate the steps required to deploy language models to GCP. We reviewed the performance and the reliability of serving the models on GCP, and we demonstrated the options user, uh, users have on monitoring and controlling the operations of the models. And apart from utilizing the cloud infrastructure for model deployment, uh, techniques such as indexes for speeding up the similarity searches can also
0: help to bring the language models to real-world applications. But there must be some limitations on this, right? So let's say I wanted to use this in a real-time application. Uh, What what would that look like?
2: Well, uh, though the recent advances in language models have brought many positive potentials for their future applications, uh, as mentioned earlier, the real-time use, I'm afraid, is still a big challenge, Uh, especially for the large language models developed recently, such as GPT-3 model. Uh, Serving them at low latency, uh, that is to say, sub-second is still not possible. And therefore, I guess uh, I'm a bit conservative on this point here, that until there is major change, these techniques are not going to be suitable for real-time or interactive use. So uh, I would say let's keep an eye on the research community and see what that will bring us in the future.
0: Yeah, so you can do things like um, type a prompt in uh, and then... Wait for a while for it to generate some text, for instance. Uh, but some of the other applications, like uh, locate a uh, paragraph of text based on uh, another paragraph of text, a similarity match, for instance, that that's got a longer latency in it because there's just more to do with the processing, I guess. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay, well, let's, let's hope we get better at doing that. But, you know, how, how if we can do that, how, how do the state of the art models compare with human performance now?
2: Yeah, um, I think we can tangibly fuel the development of language models, especially in recent years. So, for example, the search engines have become so smart that they know what we are looking for, even if we only give them a few words. And the audio transcription is so accurate that we can, uh, for example, use the live captions uh, in our team's meetings. And when we uh, travel abroad, it's no longer a headache uh, reading the local menus and thanks to the recent development of machine translation. So we have found that language models are catching us in a fast speed and even have outperformed humans in certain areas, but I would like also to draw the attention to the fact that at the research community and companies are investing heavily on the development of language models. We need to ask ourselves, do we really need such big and expensive language models? And do their benefits outweigh the environmental and financial cost for developing such models? And are there any potential harms if they're unfortunately misused? Well, I think after all, we want language models for uh, or AI, generally speaking, to better serve our society. And to achieve this goal, it is not only re- uh, required for technological breakthroughs, but also compassion about others and the environment. It requires our wisdom, I think, to use the technology properly.
0: I guess that brings us back to that uh, king minus man plus woman equals queen. Uh, example that Lou talked about uh, uh, earlier in the interview and um, it's I I guess it's quite famous now that uh, a doctor minus man plus woman equals nurse in the same model Uh, and uh, you know this kind of bias that's that's entrenched from training models on uh, old data or uh, unbalanced data is is pretty dangerous in in these models and needs to be accounted for Uh, and i guess also you know you were referencing there about the environmental cost of just burning compute to win competitions or get an increment of 0.1 improvement on on some test at the at the cost of you know a gigaton of carbon isn't 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 a great idea is that is that where you're going
2: Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think we. I think you're uh, definitely correct that we uh, should, like, remove the biases from our models, and uh, uh, and also we need to consider our uh, about the environment when we invest in these models. Uh, after all, they are very expensive models.
0: So I, I saw recently that uh, the young Vic um, is using GPT-3 to write plays in collaboration with with some humans, but. Uh, should should we be afraid of the impact of uh, language models as playwrights? Uh,
2: yes, I think we should be very careful uh, on this point, uh, because if we rely on the language models uh, uh, more and more, we we we'll probably uh, in the future, we will lose our uh, own creativity. So uh, language models should always be our assistant instead uh, of replacing humans. Uh, and I think it also um, remind me of the podcast I listened to um, the other day, so uh, Kai Fu Lee, AI pioneer. he He said, um, no matter how much you love AI, AI cannot uh, love you back.
0: So we should be very careful about that. Lou, what's your take on GPT three
1: as a playwright? Uh, I, I think I think this is cool. Happen to all maybe machine learning model, not just uh, in uh, language model, but also in image. So machine can get more and more intelligence. It it can generate uh, uh, plays or maybe giving BB as an MP to to do a debate in the parliament with another human uh, MPs to do political debate. We can do that. But ultimately, I think to use. Uh, machine learning or language model, it really should do uh, half and half. It should suggest to us, to us, like like what, what, what we how we use Google. Then we post a question, we ask Google. Google give us a list of uh, highly ranked it. He think is most relevant to what we searched. Uh, that's a really good a ranked data answer. That's that's how the the first is Google will do for us. Google will now pick the he thinks the best one. He thinks. That's a, the, the result you want to search. He just directly opened that white page for me before asking me to decide which one I should pick. So, human and, and any kind of machine learning model, in our example, language model, should really go to a half a half. It gives us a suggestion and asks human to pick the final answers. And we have to make sure at the end of this, we can control, we can improve the model using human intelligence, empower machine intelligence. Yeah.
0: Well, it's certainly a very thought provoking and interesting area. It's really interesting to see a potent tool from AI come into use and to think about the impact that that could have on business and society in general. Um, I'd like to thank you both very much. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Lou, for joining us today. And uh, hopefully um, we'll be back with another podcast in the near future. Thank you, everyone. I'm pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.